0: Welcome back to Pod Save the World. I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm Ben Rhodes. Then I want to take people um, behind the music for a second here and just talk about how we almost couldn't do the podcast in person in the office today because it's raining in Los Angeles. Yeah. And that took out our internet
1: in the, the office for a couple hours. That apparently accounts for a major natural disaster uh, True, from truly, a Los Angeles
0: perspective. Truly, like,
1: People cannot, they cannot handle it. I'm shocked like, you made it here safely. I mean, it was kind of Mad Max out on the on the roads. You know, there were people you know, driving five miles per hour, like drifting across the street. And it's like, it's raining. It's just, <laughs> it's just raining. It's, not, it's not, not even snowing. It's, not, yeah, it's, it's just raining. Although I saw
0: Tahoe might get like 70 inches of snow in the mountains. Oh, that's you know, cool. That's cool. That'll help our drought issues.
1: Yeah. We'll be using that for a while. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, yeah. Hopefully not forever. Uh, ben, there's no drought when it comes to the content. Oh. Today. No, there's not. We got... Big problems for Boris Johnson. Ready to dive in to
1: the (laughs) deep waters of content.
0: Why the Trump-Netanyahu bromance is officially dead. One of my favorite stories in a long time. We're going to talk about why we all need to go hang out in Finland. Uh, An update on the assassination of the president of Haiti. A confusing choice from President Biden for uh, a U.S. ambassador nominee. Updates on Russia and Ukraine, the Iran deal. Uh, Accountability problems at the Pentagon. A debate over whether progressives are getting rolled on defense policy. Court ruling on Julian Assange and the WikiLeaks founder and his extradition, and then camel influencers. Don't see a lot of them in I'm, LA.
1: I'm looking forward to that uh, item. That item. I, I wasn't tracking. You know. The camel influencers.
0: You, we'll, we'll catch you up real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, ben, also, if you're excited for the release of Spider-Man No Way Home, then you have to check out X-Ray Vision, the fantastic podcast with Jason Concepcion. He is breaking it down. Uh, With Marvel superfan Rosie Knight, they're looking at all the previous Spider-Man films. They're breaking down all the returning villains, sharing their wildest theories about the future of the MCU multiverse, not universe, multiverse. Uh, New episodes of X-Ray Vision drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Ben, so in recent weeks, we've talked about how our friends in the UK were concerned about Prime Minister Boris Johnson's mental well-being and his affinity for Peppa Pig. actually think the latter is understandable
1: yeah peppa seems cool yeah she's cool yeah so friendly pig
0: the challenge now is there are increasing concerns from conservatives about boris's political future here's why first it is now confirmed that last december as the uk was putting in place strict lockdown rules that boris johnson's staff threw a christmas party where they hung out drank wine ate snacks and played party games even worse Johnson and his team denied that this party happened until a video leaked of one of his staffers, like I guess it's kind of like the White House press secretary-ish role, uh preparing for a White House style briefing at a podium and they were practicing questions about this alleged party and essentially practicing how to lie about it. And laughing about it. Yeah. So, not smart. Uh, A note to future staffers don't record yourself practicing how to lie. So, Johnson still maintains that he had no knowledge of the party and that he is, quote, sickened and furious about the whole thing. He has asked a cabinet secretary to investigate. I'm sure an internal investigation will really get to the bottom of this whole thing. Uh, The Daily Mirror claims. That there was a second party, a second event that Boris Johnson actually attended and spoke at. So far, that's not part of this investigation.
1: Great pics from that party, by the way, I saw.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got to check that out. (laughs) Uh, They are. uh, Why are they sitting on the ground? They're
1: like, yeah, I I don't know what's going on here. I mean, nothing good is happening. That looks like a scene from The Office.
0: Um, (laughs) Boris Johnson is also uh, facing major pushback from members of his own party about his plan to put in place basically vaccine passports that require proof of vaccination or a negative PCR test to do certain activities through the UK. So this is all swirling together at the worst possible time. I, I guess my take on this was like, I'm not a obviously not a big Boris Johnson fan. In general, though, it was just nice to see uh, hypocrisy matter again. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, remember that was the thing in our politics.
1: Yeah. Well, I, look, there's a a meta thing happening in the world, which is you'll remember what it was like to be an incumbent in 2009, 2010 during the yeah. financial crisis yeah. when people are just people are just pissed, pissed, like things aren't getting better fast enough, and and, and so you know I think what we're going to see in a lot of places. Is like incumbents just having problems because people are pissed about Mm -hmm. COVID and they're pissed, you know, about hypocrisy and they're pissed that, you know, certain elites are seeming to, you know, be able to do things that they can't do. But I think there's a bigger problem for Boris Johnson, right? The bigger problem is he, like, clearly. Does't seem to give too much of a shit about like um you know, you know, how all of his constituents are doing mm-hmm. relative to how he and his circle of friends and advisors are doing. They appear to have been living under a different set of rules. This is there have been multiple scandals now throughout Covid yeah, yeah. of people around Boris Johnson or Boris Johnson himself not doing the things that they're requiring other people to do. So it's one thing to say, like, okay, maybe. These COVID restrictions, you you can make an argument they're necessary, but if they appear to be imposing draconian COVID restrictions while they're like partying and not wearing masks and not following the protocols, and there's a different set of rules that apply to them that apply to everybody else, it starts to feel like he doesn't respect the voters who elected him Mm -hmm. and thinks that he doesn't have to play by the same rules or the people around him do not play by the same kind of rules. And that is like poison. For politicians. That, that's yep. like the let-me-eat-cake stuff, which didn't end very well for Marie Antoinette and usually doesn't end very well for, for leaders. It's also
0: surprising in this case since Boris Johnson almost died from COVID. Yeah, he was yeah, like,
1: yeah, like Chris Christie kind of situation. Yeah. You know, like he was he was in the ICU for like a while. It was bad. Know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Real bad, and now it just doesn't seem to take it seriously.
1: No, and and again, like, that they've been riding this wave where no matter what happens, like, you know, the Brexit thing took a while to get done, and then... You know, certain consequences have been pretty negative out of Brexit, but they just keep getting rewarded. And I think they kind of internalize the dynamic where, like, eh, we can do whatever the fuck we want, you know, and it mm-hmm. feels like that's finally catching up to him, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and at least he started combing his hair, and I don't know that that's working.
1: I don't think people want that.
0: No. <laughs> like, I, want, I want the fuzzy hair. It's air.
1: not like a huge improvement, let's no. be honest. Yeah.
0: No, he's not much he can do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Our next uh, topic here, a little more vengeance for us, maybe personally, uh, Ben, because the bromance between Donald Trump and former Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu is officially dead. You hate to see it. Yeah. Uh, Here's a quote from Donald Trump Fuck him.
1: Yeah. Trump said (laughs) of Netanyahu. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, Donald, buddy, like, welcome to the Bibi Netanyahu, not a fan club. Brief interjection is like, it, it,
1: it was one of those things where I was like, well, if it leaked out that Barack Obama had said fuck him about oh, Netanyahu, like oh, the will revended, the statements being issued the by pearl organizations, clutching. the pro clutching. With Donald Trump, it's like, oh, that's interesting, Axios. you
0: know. No, no but, but look, like, I mean, the truth is, like every American president, most officials who had to work with Bibi Netanyahu are sort of in the same place here. But you know, so the backstory is according to Barack David of Axios, a reporter there, the Trump Netanyahu relationship fully ruptured when Netanyahu congratulated Biden on his victory. You're not allowed to do that, right? You're not allowed to. Uh, uh, talk about reality. If Donald Trump doesn't like reality, but things were souring long before that, um, Trump told Axios that he initially had had a much better relationship with Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of the Palestinians, and ultimately determined that Abbas wanted to make a peace deal more than Net- Netanyahu ever did. Trump said that, "quote, Bibi just tapped us along. Bibi did not want to make peace. He never did again." Thank you, Donald, stating the obvious, joining a long list of public officials who admit to this sort of cynical effort by Bibi to to drag out talks and never actually do anything. Um, now, of course, Trump gave Netanyahu every political gift possible. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem. He recognized the Golan Heights as part of uh, Israel's territory. He cut off contact with Abbas, cut assistance to the Palestinians. So I don't know, Ben, it, it's, it's odd to just sort of agree with Donald here. I, I don't know.
1: Well, uh, I mean, I think there are a few things that stand out here. Like, first of all, what's interesting is that his attitude towards Netanyahu is kind of like his attitude towards like the Georgia Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. Like, he sees Bibi Netanyahu as like a as a local Republican elected official. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we're, like, clearly, that's his mentality, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, like uh, oh, you know, the the the, the we're the right wing party in Israel now, and that means that this guy is going to do everything I want, including backing up my stop the steal like campaign. Yeah, yeah, right. And and again, like that speaks to how crass and transactional and full of shit their whole like wrap themselves in the Israeli flag thing is. It's not about any genuine feeling for no. Israel or Israelis. It's this this idea that we can cynically manipulate the politics of this issue for our own benefit at home and we expect the Israeli Prime Minister to be a party to that, which, by the way, Netanyahu, by and large, was. Totally you know, cool with Like, he's totally cool there, right? So, with um, it. he the the He is not the Georgia Secretary of State who stood up to Trump. He's just no. somebody who, like, called the incoming President of the United States Joe Biden, right? Second thing is, I'm a little dubious on the like, oh, I actually had a great relationship with Abu Mazen. No, I don't know? believe it. For- like, <laughs> you he like a father figure yeah, to him? Yeah, like, Come on. Uh, uh, I mean, let's, let's be clear on. here, right? Like, I, I don't think that there was like some deep chemistry developing between Donald Trump and Abu Mazen. And then lastly, like, a bit of like the tell that maybe the Abraham Accords wasn't the peace deal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's suddenly like, well, he wasn't interested in peace. Like, uh, no, no, maybe that was not about peace either, right? So th- this kind of just exposes the obvious truth at the core of the whole Trump-Netanyahu thing, which was was entirely about each one another's, like, respective political views at home. Yes. And not about trying to do anything. And Trump being like, oh, well, fuck him, is more about the fact that, you know, even though Netanyahu put up, billboards to Trump. And the, remember, they were like naming shit after mm-hmm. him in Israel uh, that, you know, if, if you're not willing to like storm the Capitol on January 6th and participate in like hang Mike Pence chants, you know, yeah. uh, you're going to end up getting trashed in like a Barack Ravid book.
0: Right. I mean, as much as I love reading about Trump slapping Netanyahu around, what it does reveal is that, OK, you're telling us that you knew from the early from the very beginning that Netanyahu was never going to cut a peace deal. And yet you gave him all this political gifts. It was only to uh, excite an evangelical base back in the United States. It was was as cynical as it gets. He basically is admitting that. It's also like an enormous repudiation of Jared Kushner and all of his strategies and everything he stood for. In fact, so Barack David is writing this book on the Abraham Accords. He did a a podcast, a couple podcast episodes with Jonathan Swan of Axios, like about the negotiations. And it is... um, a uh, very self-congratulatory, a bit of a, a circle-jerk vibe yeah, yeah, yeah. about you know the UAE ambassador, you know, coming to Jared with this idea for the Abraham Accords, and you know, ultimately they talk about how uh, essentially the the Abraham Accords or, or what became them was essentially a way to get Netanyahu to not annex the West Bank because I guess Trump didn't have the swat to like call up Netanyahu and say hey do not annex the West Bank. They had to give him this giant diplomatic gift. It's all very well, and annoying and confusing.
1: Like what, peace is a slight delay in the annexation of the West Bank? Right. I mean, it's not like it, peace was like the West Bank becoming part of Palestinian state. It was like, uh, oh, oh, I'm not going to just publicly claim all this land as annexes into part of Israel i am going to continue to build settlements i am going to do nothing to bring about a Palestinian state so no this didn't accomplish anything right like no. let's be clear like the idea that they forestalled like an even worse outcome of an annexation of the west bank like in exchange for massive arms deals to the uae and the the like look, look morocco is is, is You know, basically got support for like a war in the Western Sahara, Sudan, we've had a coup. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. if you look at the countries that are a part of this, it's not ended well for them. The behavior in those countries has not improved on the back end of of this deal. You know, Um, I, I, I do just think like Netanyahu himself, like looks like an increasingly ridiculous figure. You've got multiple Israeli officials now coming out and saying that his Iran policy was, like, the biggest disaster for Israel in recent history. And, and you have Iran moving in the direction of a nuclear weapon because of Bibi Netanyahu. Peace is further away. Netanyahu is out of power. Trump, his best buddy, is telling him to go fuck himself.
0: <laughs> like, I mean— And both I, of them have uh, spent a lot of their yeah. time uh, either in a courtroom defending themselves against corruption charges. That's yeah. Netanyahu. Or Trump— preparing to defend himself potentially yeah. against corruption charges or yeah. fighting back against subpoenas and, you know, both in New York and at the, uh, in Congress. Yeah. So
1: this is not exactly like, you know, Anwar Sadat and- Yeah, they're not covering <laughs> glory here. Jimmy Carter no, here, no, you know.
0: No. Uh, enough about those creeps. Uh, Ben, it is time for the world out there to mount up in defense of an unfairly maligned world leader. So Santa Marine is the prime minister of Finland. She had to apologize- because she went clubbing until four AM and she missed a text message informing her that she had been in close contact with someone who had COVID nineteen. Now that's obviously a bummer, but that someone was the foreign minister of Finland. It wasn't like some random head at a bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh here's where this all gets a little confusing. Maureen was initially told that, despite her close contact with the foreign minister who got COVID, that she didn't need to isolate because she was fully vaccinated. So she did, I think, what what every one of us wished we could have done for all of 2020 on a Saturday night. She she left her fucking work phone at home and she went out to the bars. Uh, but then on Sunday when she got home, she saw a text on her work phone that said, hey, you're in close contact. You should self-isolate. You should get tested. So she went and got tested. The results came back negative. All's well that ends well. The the Finland guidelines don't require you to isolate if you're fully vaccinated and come in contact with someone with COVID, but they suggest that you do. I don't know. I don't get how this is a scandal. seems like the problem here is some poorly written rules, but Uh, Maureen became the world's youngest prime minister when she was elected to lead Finland's center-left coalition back in 2019. At that time, she was 34. Now she's 36. Here's a hot take for her critics. Shut up. Yeah. You guys are losers. You're losers. And, okay. You wish you could stay awake till 4 a.m. That's the problem. I wish I could stay awake till 4 a.m.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't end well for me. (laughs) You know, Like, uh. About 2 a.m., like things would start to go really south, really (laughs) fast, you know? But look, it's first of all, it's very different from the Boris Johnson scandals where he was putting forward these guidelines that they were all breaking, right? And this was
0: pre-vaccine too when Boris was doing this. Yeah, you
1: know, he's just partying back there. Like we want our leaders, our political leaders to be recognizable. We want them to, you know, essentially be authentic themselves, Mm -hmm. right? And like who wouldn't, want a leader to feel like you know what it's been a pretty fucking shitty year yeah so you know what i want to do live your life like i want to go out till 4 a.m i'm gonna have the jello shot like or whatever the thing is that you do at the club you know um and, and and look she's a she's she's the kind of leader we need Like it it would would you want like Donald Trump at the club till four in the morning?
0: Like, no, no. You think Biden wasn't hitting the clubs during the roaring 20s or whenever he was.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying that, like, this is a person who's at the vanguard of this trend. We've talked about of women leaders in their 30s getting elected, being very reasonable people, doing a great job in office. And and if you want to go out to the club at four. Like, you know what? Every now and then, like, that's something that, like, you got to do, right? Gotta and do I it. think this is something where worldos we'll need to circle the wagons in defense here of all the haters and back the fuck up. I will tell you also, Helsinki is a fun place to hang out. Um, Doesn't the
0: sun not ever go down? So
1: I went there. Uh, I went there a long time ago and I had, like, a really good time and I went out, I remember one night and I had a little too much to drink and I go back and it was the white nights. It was literally the time when the sun, like, never goes down. Hmm. And I will tell you, it is rough when you have had a little too much drink, and I didn't have her stamina, so I didn't make it till four. So I go back and I crash at my like you know crappy hotel at the time, and I wake up at like three in the morning, and you know like you don't feel that great, mm-hmm. and it's just bright light. Yeah, how are you supposed to sleep anyway? What's well, the point and of I'm going like, home? This I have a lot of respect for these people. They can power through uh, in the summer. And right now you know, in now it's like dark all the fucking time, like I mean
0: yeah, you don't even know what time it is. I went to Oslo in January, and it basically the sun came up at like eight thirty and went down at four and it was it was the reverse. it was not good,
1: but I'm just saying like if part of the problem that we have in the world today is that a bunch of autocratic nationalist creeps are getting elected because in many countries, too many countries, more old people vote than young people Mm -hmm. because young people are looking at politicians and not seeing people that they can relate to and not seeing people they can connect to. The idea that you have like an effective social Democrat prime minister in her 30s crushing it on the job and then crushing it at the clubs
0: is like the kind of thing that would get more people involved in politics. Totally. This story is getting traction because she is a young, attractive woman. Uh, But I just want to point out that some of the world's greatest leaders have been known to party. As has been discussed before on this show, Queen Elizabeth II of England was known to pregame her lunch Yeah. Pre-game her lunch. She would have a Dubonnet cocktail. Good for her. Just fortified wine mixed with gin. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. That's a serious cocktail.
1: (laughs) Sounds like I had to like crawl off the floor after a couple of those.
0: Uh, Former Russian president Boris Yeltsin reportedly got so drunk. During a visit to Washington D.C., that he was found by Secret Service standing alone, uh, trying to hail a cab on Pennsylvania Avenue (laughs) in his underwear. Yeah, and when asked why, he said he was going to go grab a slice of pizza.
1: Who among us hasn't wanted to get that slice of pizza? Can you
0: imagine if you ran into uh, half-naked Boris Yeltsin, a jumbo slice? (laughs) Well, I was going to say the good (laughs) thing is is you get the jumbo. I was
1: going to say you get the jumbo slice. You know, like that was clearly what he was going after. You know.
0: FDR Ben reportedly served dirty martinis to Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin at the Yalta Conference as they yeah. were figuring out, you know, sort of post-war Europe.
1: It didn't end that well for Eastern Europe, but no, it, you know, like, uh, yeah, um, uh, you, you know, they 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 saved half the world, you know.
0: Yeah, you know, maybe they get the Merkel is reportedly a fan of a, a good German beer. Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, she loved Cointreau and Scotch. I don't like. Look, I, what I'm saying is a lot of great leaders. Knew how to have a great time. You know who didn't ever have a drink, didn't seem to have fun? Donald, Donald
1: Trump. Donald Trump. I mean, you know, sitting around drinking Diet Cokes and eating like fast food.
0: Uh, look, we're Team Finland here.
1: We're Team Finland. We're Team Marin. Uh, you know, we're invested in her success and the success of basically all political leaders under 40 who try to do the right thing in office and, you know, try to get after it on the weekends.
0: Yeah, except for that douchebag down in El Salvador. We don't like him. Uh, ben. <laughs> The New York Times published a report uh, about uh, the assassination in Haiti that I thought was an important update. So they said that uh, President Jovenel Moise of Haiti, who was assassinated back in July, had been keeping a list of government officials and business people linked to the drug trade and was about to hand it over to the U.S. government before he was assassinated. This list reportedly included close associates, people who had basically helped him gain power. Uh, and Moise's wife, who survived the assassination attempt, described how the killers had rifled through all his documents before declaring, that's it, grabbing something and leaving. Uh, it's a long story. It's worth reading in full. There was actually a great episode of The Daily where they talked about it. But I don't know, not an entirely surprising motive here, I thought.
1: No. and I mean, it, it was it was nice to feel like you were getting the beginning of some answers about this, right? Yeah. Because it was so opaque why this incredibly dramatic thing happened, you know? Um, And, you know, it is a sign that in Haiti and through Haiti, you have gangs and drug cartels that are far more powerful than the state so that if they become aware and start to feel like they might become the target of the state, it's like, okay, we'll just take out the president, Mm -hmm. right? So good that, you know, hopefully this is a thread that can be pulled to figure out what happened. But, you know, a sign of just like how big a problem it is that, you know the 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 state is not the 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 big actor here when it comes to violence in haiti
0: yeah it makes you worry that the the corruption is so endemic in you know the halls of power in haiti that there might not ever be accountability for what happened but i mean hopefully it does seem like we are a little bit closer to knowing why he was assassinated yeah by visiting unrefugees.org/donation that's unrefugees.org/donation support for Pots of the world comes from the international rescue committee the irc works in more than 50 countries serving people whose lives have been upended by war conflict and natural disasters in places like gaza ukraine and sudan displaced families are experiencing war extreme hunger and life-threatening injuries in gaza Ongoing violence, bombardment, and blockade have made survival difficult for families living in damaged buildings and tents. The lack of safe water, medicine, and healthy food contributes to the spread of diseases, and children are especially at risk. The International Rescue Committee is working with local partners in Gaza to provide life-saving medical care to injured civilians. The IRC works around the world to help families in crisis by delivering critical supplies such as therapeutic food for malnourished children— clean water, cash assistance, and more. Your donation will support this work and help children and families survive. Listen, the International Rescue Committee is an incredible organization. They are doing the Lord's work all around the globe. I have donated to them, you know, for many, many years now because I know that my dollar will go towards helping people. It's not going to go to administrative costs or overhead fees. It's just an incredible group doing great work. I hope you'll consider them. Donate today by visiting rescue.org slash rebuild. That's rescue.org slash rebuild. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, if you're listening to Pod Save the World, you need some therapy. If you're watching the events around the world that might freak you out, We've got this election coming down the pike, there's a lot of stuff that people uh, are stressed about, that are anxious about, stuff that makes you lose sleep, and therapy can help. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash crooked world. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's p.com slash crooked world. Another interesting story uh, that has to do with President Biden and his uh, ambassadorial nominees. So President Biden nominated former Quibi, Hewlett-Packard, and eBay CEO Meg Whitman to be the U.S. ambassador to Kenya. Whitman endorsed Biden in 2020, Hillary Clinton in 2016. So she was sort of an anti-Trump Republican. But before that was a senior member of Mitt Romney's campaigns in 2008, 2012. And she ran for governor of California in 2010 as a Republican. Could be used to be in this building. Used to be in elevators with her randomly. Here's my question, though. Why? Yeah, <laughs> why? Yeah, 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 Why, yeah, yeah, why, yeah, yeah. why yeah. Meg Whitman? Why? Yeah. Why? What, what connection does she have with Kenya? Yeah. She's an incredibly accomplished CEO. But Kenya is a big, really important country, country. We have lots of uh, counterterrorism interests there like Ethiopia, their neighbor is, is in the middle of a year long civil war. I I get rewarding supporters uh, with ambassadorial posts. I I don't think it's the greatest practice that presidents do, but Obama did it. Others have done it. But normally you're like sending people to like the Cayman Islands, (laughs) the Bahamas. Is Kenya a spot where you try out a novice political appointee rather than some like hardened career diplomat with experience in the region? It seems like a bad idea to me.
1: It, it's pretty random. I mean, first of all, Kenya is really important country, right? So, and it's a country with a lot of sensitive issues you have to manage you've had situations in the past that we've had to get involved in the United States government kind of mediating between some tribal violence in Kenyan politics between the Tutsi and Kikuyu tribes, um, you know, that, that you've had really bad election violence. It's it's a dynamic economy. It's a place where China is seeking to get greater influence in Africa. It's a key counterterrorism partner. It's a part of any diplomatic strategy related to Tigray or South Sudan or any mm-hmm. number of the other issues there. It's the, the biggest and most important country in that part of Africa. And you would want someone who knows a lot about Kenya <laughs> or, or knows a lot about the diplomacy that you're going to have to pursue in that kind of country. And the reality here is that, like, yes, sometimes you reward people, but, like, y- y- you try to get the the, the right person for the, the right post or the right job. I mean, Quibi didn't work out, let's face it. I mean, when I first started coming to this building where Quibi had offices, you know, it was cool for, like, about two months, you'd see, like, some celebrity coming in for a meeting and stuff like <laughs> that is not the prep work that you want, though, uh, the, the, the the cratered quibby experiment to be the springboard to an ambassadorship to Kenya.
0: Yeah, it's just what's weird to me is like I get look, I'm OK with non-traditional ambassadorial choices. I'm OK with like plucking a few Republicans and trying to show a bipartisan, you know, image to the world. But another one that was weird is Jeff Flake, former Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona, to be ambassador to Turkey. Again, it's a country where like a lot of shit is happening. Yeah. It's a big important yeah. place. Yeah. They're kind of falling out of NATO. We have a you know autocratic leader. It's just an odd, odd choices to me. I don't get it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you like the the role of ambassadors too is, you know, it's it's actually getting kind of more important, right? In the sense that when you're talking about a Kenya, or even to some extent a Turkey. These are really important countries that are at the center of a lot of stuff, and yet a lot of the Washington bandwidth is going to be taken up by China, mm-hmm. by Middle East issues, by yep. you know these large trends that are being managed out of Washington: COVID, climate change, and so you you actually rely a lot on on the ambassador to to be the the tip of the spear of your diplomacy in all yep. these places. And I think like th- this is not restricted to the Biden administration. You know, I think as a general matter thinking through, like, the kind of profile that you want for people to be ambassadors is important. And by the way, like, also not having a confirmation process that is so fucked up mm-hmm. that, you know, you can't really get your own people in there, so maybe it's easier to get a Republican in, you know, when you're a Democratic president. Um, it it just—it's worth taking a step back and kind of thinking through this whole a- a enterprise going
0: forward, you know. Yeah, it's, I'm all for creativity, but it's got to be, like— Square peg, square hole kind of fit. Exactly. And I'm just not yeah. sure that we. And sometimes it can fit here. with
1: a, with a political supporter or donor. Sometimes someone who hasn't been in government has like a lot of unique and relevant expertise to a country. Doesn't have to. I, I'm not. I'm not one who thinks it always has to be a foreign service officer as, as good as foreign service officers are. But you, you, you do want to make sure it makes the most sense. You, you have to be
0: know? able to explain it. Yeah. And I just haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, ben, I, I made a little section that we call uh, very serious problems that seem to be getting worse, but there's no good answers. Uh, for some quick updates here. Uh, One, Ukraine, again, G7 got together. Uh, They warned Russia against invading Ukraine. Just for listeners, the G7 is the US, UK, Canada, Germany, France, Italy, Japan. This meeting came after Biden's talk with Vladimir Putin last week. State Department sent the Assistant Secretary of State for Europe to Ukraine uh, and to Russia for meetings. I think those are happening right now. Friend of the pod, Karen yeah. Donfried. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Uh, I also saw that former world heavyweight boxing champion and current mayor of Kiev, Vitaly Klitschko said he was prepared to personally join the army, join the fight uh, if Russia invades. So watch out. Wouldn't Russia. want to fuck with yeah, that guy. Ben, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, so the G7 is saying there's going to be political and economic consequences for Russia if an invasion occurs. It's worth remembering that the G7 was the G8 until 2014 when Russia invaded Crimea. Uh, not sure that that deterred them. Uh, we talked about this last week about how Russia doesn't seem to be really all that scared about U.S. sanctions. Do you think the G7 collective has more sway? Do they have more tools? Or is this sort of status quo?
1: I think it's useful to send a message that it's not just the United States like raising these concerns. Um, it, it suggests to Russia that there'll be multilateral consequences for things that they do. It, it provides a good backdrop to diplomacy that Karen Donfried is, is excellently qualified to, to carry out. Um, you know, The whole thing, though, continues to be worrisome because the Russian troop buildup just continues. And, you know, part of, I was kind of trying to think of at a different angle of like where where this might be going. I mean, obviously worst case scenarios, Russia just invades Ukraine. Um, But, you know, sometimes what Putin can do is he can create a worst case scenario, right? Like, oh my God, he's going to invade the whole country. And then he can do something short of that. Right, Right. Like, what if they move a whole bunch of these troops into the two provinces that are contested in eastern Ukraine, right? Uh, the Donbass uh, area of Ukraine that's on the Russian border. And so it's like, well, he didn't invade the whole country, but, you know, maybe it's a play to kind of annex those pieces of Ukraine, right. like he did Crimea. And so then he's done something that is not this worst case scenario necessarily, but it's still invading and, and yeah, claiming a chunk of a country. Yeah, yeah. So that, case. that's the the only the other angle that occurred to me as I thought about this is just like, I think Putin in the past sometimes has created like fears about something that is extreme, so that when he then does something that is less extreme, it, it doesn't look as radical as if he had just rolled a bunch of troops into a couple of provinces in of mm-hmm. Ukraine. You know. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess just keep watching this one because. Still building up trips. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, it is like Groundhog Day, but also it's worth pointing out that like the Biden team has a full plate here and that when you look at the progress of Iran's nuclear program, you look at the, the risk of an invasion of Ukraine like next year, you know, could be could have some serious foreign policy challenges you know
0: yeah i mean so you mentioned the iran nuclear deal so the uh, international atomic energy agency says that restrictions that are being put on their inspectors by iran are giving the world quote a very blurred image of the nuclear program in iran uh iran refuses to let the iaea replace cameras they have in some parts of their sort of nuclear infrastructure because the iranians say well those cameras were probably used in sabotage efforts where the israelis blew up this facility at some point so no you can't put them back in um the u.s and european diplomats are warning that time is running out tony blinken the secretary of state said the u.s is preparing quote alternatives in case the talks collapse uh, anything out there giving you hope uh, do you think is alternatives code for dusting off pentagon plans to blow up shit like i, I wouldn't how to read that
1: I, i'm you know usually that means like <laughs> even more sanctions okay no you know? uh which i don't think are going to it accomplished much other than you know just squeezing Iran more. What's which, left the sanctions? Yeah, I mean, it, like they've clearly priced in uh, uh, sanctions with the course that they're on, and and no, I mean it, it, every every signal that seems to be coming out of these uh, steps by Iran and these these negotiations points to an Iran that is at at best engaged in pretty extreme brinksmanship as a part of a negotiating tool. Or at worst, it's just decided like they're, they're moving ahead with their nuclear program and they're, you know, you know doing some smokescreen talks to just, you know, play the clock. Yeah. Um, not good. Another good
0: one. Yeah. Good. Last sort of uh, you know, problem we've been observing for a while, which is the Pentagon says that no U.S. troops are going to be punished for the drone strike in Kabul in August that killed 10 civilians. Talked about this a lot at the time. John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman said, quote, what we saw here was a breakdown in process and execution in procedural events, not the result of negligence, nor the result of misconduct, not the result of poor leadership, end quote. Uh, remember that, you know, at the time, the defense department did not acknowledge that civilians were killed until the new york times challenged their assertion that this was a quote righteous strike uh, that killed an isis bomber some of the reporting on this uh, decision by the pentagon not to punish anyone noted that the military almost never holds anyone accountable never punishes anyone with the one notable exception being when a dozen military personnel were disciplined for an airstrike on a doctors without borders hospital in afghanistan in 2015 they killed 42 people the decision from the Pentagon, not to punish someone, uh, comes as the Times released another major report detailing how the military routinely circumvented rules put in place to protect civilians uh, in Syria by saying, look, all our airstrikes are defensive in nature, so we don't have to you know, make sure that civilians will be killed. Um, I just wanted to highlight all this, Ben, because I'm just having a growing sense that these are systemic failures, uh, that not enough is being done to protect civilians and that the message that's getting sent to the world when there's no accountability is really damaging. And it worries me. And I'm not sure what to do about it.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, part of what is is kind of troubling here is we learned a lot about this drone strike. Um, and you know nothing that we learned suggested really anything that would point to this being like a, a legitimate target, right? I mean, the guy's like driving around town, running some errands, putting some water in his car with water, his family. You right. know?
0: And, driving to like an NGO. And,
1: and, and so you know, part of the issue here is when the Pentagon comes out and says, nobody did anything wrong, there's no failure of this, no failure of that, you almost want to ask the question, and they need to answer the question, what would... What would qualify as a failure of of execution or leadership you know like 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 what what is this because it's so opaque you know like yeah. who like you know and, 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 and there's different kinds of processes, if they were clearer about what the standards are that would merit accountability, then there could be an easier way to measure what happened against what those standards are, and there's a lot of just kind of like trust us, we looked into this, and nothing wrong happened. When you know, in fact, that that doesn't answer any questions. If mm-hmm. nothing, if nobody did anything wrong, then how did this happen? You know, um, and 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 so I I think bottom line is you want more accountability in more circumstances. I think you would also want there to be a kind of clear public explanation of what does constitute a failure, so that you can measure these incidents against that.
0: You know. Yeah, it's real like mistakes were made vibe. Yeah, at some point, like someone made a mistake. Someone some, made a mistake. Like, if, if killing someone isn't a mistake, what is? I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, ben Politico had a piece uh, that I want to get your get a gut check from you on because the headline felt frustratingly accurate and worth talking about. So this headline was "Progressives Get Rolled on Pentagon Policy." Yeah, uh, a few examples cited in the article. Uh, we still have been able to get rid of the authorization for the use of military force that was passed uh, to go to war in Iraq. Uh, A bipartisan group of senators were unable to block a $650 million arms sale to Saudi Arabia. Efforts to fundamentally reform the military justice system were pared back. And the price tag on this big defense spending bill was massive. It was $768 billion, which was $25 billion more than the White House even asked for. Um, It's worth noting, just before we talk about it, that progressives have made a ton of progress towards, you know, building support to end the uh, U.S. support for the Saudi war. In Yemen, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has done incredible work to push the Pentagon to reform the way it handles sexual assault allegations and deserves credit for it. And she was furious at the way it was watered down. But, I don't know, what did you make of that article? Do you think that take is fair? And then, more importantly, I guess, like, do you have thoughts on how Democrats can actually do a better job and win some of these fights, cut the Pentagon budget, reform the military, et cetera?
1: I I, I think it's fair, you know, in those... Those Trump years when, you know, progressives were – and frankly, just even center-left folks were kind of thinking through, like, what are the types of changes you would want to make in this space? You know, you would be looking at cuts to the Pentagon budget. You'd be looking at cuts, for instance, to the massive trillion-dollar – nuclear infrastructure modernization plan. Like, do we really need to spend a trillion dollars modernizing our nuclear weapons infrastructure, right? didn't
0: didn't Bob Corker force us to do that during the Obama years? John Kyle, Bob Corker, these
1: guys. But it just grew, it mushroomed, right? So there was an original sin there uh, in like 2010. But it's just got, it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. It's just more and more money. and, and so there's the overall cut to the budget and particularly this nuclear weapons piece. And, and Biden has like a nuclear posture review. That's how you look at nuclear weapons. And all the mood music out of that is it's not going to be particularly progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to talk about, you know, no 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 first use of nuclear weapons as being a part of that. You don't hear anything about that nope. anymore, right? Um, then the Yemen war, you know, Biden came out in his first major speech and said, you know, we're going to end support for offensive military operations. Um, but, you know, here we are. And, and Saudi arms sales is something that obviously progressives. And I think Democrats generally uh, thought we need to hit a pause button on. Uh, Chris Murphy's had great leadership on that. So, you know, then you see this arm sale going the through. Progressives
0: are very pissed at Murphy for not voting to yeah. cut off this latest arm yeah, sale.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. And and then, well, that's the point. There's this kind of like downgrading of expectations on a bunch of stuff. The AUMF was an area where people had a lot of enthusiasm. When you're a Democrat president coming in, you're going out of Afghanistan, it's time to replace the AUMF. So if you look at that kind of Wish list or agenda of repealing the AUMF, ending the war in Yemen, suspending arms sales to Saudi Arabia, uh, making meaningful cuts to the defense budget—like none of that is happening, you know. Um, and it feels like the autopilot, right, of the machinery of Congress and the military-industrial complex, you know, plussing up defense spending. Which we should point out, like Joe Manchin and you know the deficit hawks there in the the No Labels Caucus. Like, we're talking about an annual expenditure of something that is almost half of the overall 10-year price tag mm-hmm. of Build Back Better, yeah. right? I mean, massive. massive amounts of money. And I don't think that that changes absent, like, real concerted presidential and White House focus on this. Mm-hmm. Because Congress, you know, the lobbyists and the defense contractors can always get to just enough members to kill something like the effort to cut off this Saudi arms sale, right? Or to to add some more pork to the defense budget. Uh, and, and so, you know, this is something that they would have to decide to, 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 to meaningfully take on.
0: You know? Yeah. And look, it's frustrating that you know the, i think the us is still providing some support for airstrikes in yemen the the blockade hasn't been ended millions of people are at risk of starvation so like there is there, there's some good pressure from the left on these issues it's just kind of i don't know it's not penetrating the the biden team's decision making on this set of topics in part because just in in fairness the the white house folks are probably thinking all right we're going to need the saudis help with Iran nuclear deal, if we can get back into that. We're going to need their help on energy prices. We're going to need their help on AQAP, all these other things. And so, you know, you can see how really critical priorities like ending the war in Yemen can get squeezed out a little bit. But I do think, like, there is more urgency there than on, on almost any other issue to end that blockade and prevent people from starving.
1: And and I would expect what they would tell you, and, I, and this is just, you know, me saying this, not based on, on, on the conversations, um, you know, that... We're trying to do this. We're trying to end the war in Yemen. And actually, it could harm our diplomacy in trying to end the war in Yemen if we picked a fight with the Saudis over this thing. And, you know, kind of the strategy of like you you kind of hug the person to try to get them to do something. I don't know. I don't like I I just feel like the war in Yemen is so beyond the pale that you have to set some markers. Mm -hmm. The nature of the Saudi regime is, you know, so compromised that you uh, have to do something more concerted on arms sales. But but then also this question of the Pentagon budget is within your purview. And, you know, we don't need this big of a Pentagon budget. If you look under the hood of that budget, this is not all stuff that is going for future threats, you know, whether it's China or cyber or whatever. It's a lot of bloated stuff, you know, like a trillion dollar nuclear weapons modernization plan, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so I think it's just time to uh you know to, to 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 have government reflect the priorities that i think democrats have and this is feels like it's not there
0: donald trump can't leave the courtroom so just to rub it in a little PodSave save america is going on tour he's probably asleep right now but if he were conscious You'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy Rails tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at Crooked.com/slash
2: events. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls? To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at crooked.com slash friends. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate taking back the House or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee.
0: Here's another example of, uh, you know, a priority that's continued from Trump to Biden that sort of surprised me which is uh, the extradition of Julian Assange. So last week, a British court ruled that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange can be extradited to the US to face charges, which reversed a lower court ruling. So in 2019, the Trump administration charged Assange on 17 counts of violating the Espionage Act. The Biden administration has continued that prosecution effort. The Obama team, the Obama administration back in the day, debated charging Assange, but decided not to because of concerns that could harm press freedom. Um, This British court ruling wasn't about any of these bigger issues we're talking about. Their concern is that Assange's physical and mental health had deteriorated so much in British custody that his extradition to the US could put him in a prison where the conditions are so inhumane that they could create an extreme risk of suicide. Um, I would just say, pausing for a second, like no matter how you feel about Assange, I think the fact that the British court system is debating how horrific the US prison system is should probably all make us, Pause yeah, and yeah, be ashamed yeah, for a minute yeah, yeah. Uh, of just how fucked up our penal system is. So you know the the charges that Assange is facing, none of them have to do with 2016 or, or you know the, the election. It's all about uh, documents he was given by Chelsea Manning in 2010. DOJ says Assange solicited the documents that he participated in a conspiracy to with Manning to cover uh, his tracks uh, after uh, Chelsea Manning got the documents. Um, so Ben, you know I, I'm not a fan of Assange. I find this whole thing deeply uncomfortable. I worry about the precedent, but I guess the question I had for you is, are you surprised that the Biden administration is continuing with this prosecution and extradition is, is like, are are these, you know, prosecution efforts at DOJ just sort of like a source of enormous inertia. Like, I, I just don't get get how as works.
1: They are kind of a source. I mean, the, the, they, they kind of, the wheels start spinning and then they just continue spinning. Um, you and I went through a version of this um, in the Obama years on I think even more questionable cases. Interesting. <laughs> which are those leak cases, right? Yes. And remember yes, 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 yes. we uh, a lot of those originated in the Bush administration.
0: Previous national security leaks. Yeah.
1: You know, and and then it just the like w- like it was hard to explain to people that Barack Obama didn't come in and say, like, I want you to, to prioritize this. It was just Ongoing prosecutions, you know, some which began Bush, and some just and and so you have to kind of make a decision to deprioritize something at, at times, which you know I think you can make a pretty credible argument like the Obama administration should have done on some of those some of those leak investigations. Um and and so in this case, I'm not surprised because it kind of runs on autopilot, but at a certain point, like what is the relative value of pursuing Kind of futilely, this extradition over something that happened over a decade ago mm-hmm. that has really been, you know, we are like so many <laughs> universes past that that time. <laughs> you know, like right. like we've sent the message that like there will be efforts to bring to justice people that leak or the people that are involved in this. Like, I I, I just don't see that with all the things that the Justice Department can and should be doing. Why this should be like prioritized um, in the U.S.-U.K. relationship or, or in the kind of universe of stuff that, that, that we had to worry about. Yeah. And look, I don't I, like uh, Julian Assange. I find to be a, a pretty odious character in a lot of ways. So, but like I just don't know that like what, what are we achieving here? And
0: know? also I, I think the global reaction to this extradition effort is horror.
1: Yeah, and, and concern
0: it, about the precedent and press freedom,
1: and concern about and and dragging back up the the all the debates about everything WikiLeaks was like. What is the best case scenario here, right? Like, we, yeah, w- for, from the U.S. government standpoint, like, what, the, uh, is it really worth? Like having Julian Assange in 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 a prison and then a trial and bring back all the Chelsea Manning stuff. It just it just feels like we're past the expiration date on this one, you know?
0: Yeah, and look, I mean, some of the doc- some of the materials Manning released were whistleblowing. Right? There was that horrific video of a U.S. helicopter shooting journalists, murdering them, huge yeah. mistake. That that should have been disclosed by the government before. Shouldn't have had to have been leaked. Uh, no one is arguing that disclosing 250,000 State Department cables was whistleblowing or necessary or appropriate, but-
1: Or like taking from the GRU cutout, the 2016 documents and releasing them, but that's not what the, is at issue here.
0: Right, right, and that's not yeah. what's at issue. But, like, my point was just on the State Department cables, like, Chelsea Manning was punished for that crime yeah. extensively and to, so the, was, to the point where Obama I mean, commuted the sentence. So was Julian Assange. Right? Yeah, I mean, he's I been mean, living he's, in a fucking embassy. Yeah, and, yeah,
1: yeah. It's not like, you know, he's been high on the hog here the last few years, right? No. So there, there's been punishment. You have sent the message that there are consequences for people who do this kind of stuff. Like, I, I don't... Yeah, it just doesn't seem... Like, why are we still doing yeah, it's this? Su-
0: yeah. It's surprising to me. Uh, last thing, very, very serious topic here. Uh, according to the Saudi Press Agency, over 40 camels were disqualified from an annual camel beauty contest because they were administered Botox, hormones, or other appearance-enhancing techniques. Participants in the King Abdullah Aziz Camel Festival compete for, wait for it, 66 million dollars in price money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, judges pick the camel winners based on the shape of their heads, necks, humps, <laughs> dress, and postures. That's a quote. Uh, these poor camels are treated. What
1: qualifies as like a attractive hump?
0: I don't know. We gotta find. We gotta go. No, we probably shouldn't go. <laughs> Bonesaw. Yeah. Uh, these poor camels. They're 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 treating them like Instagram influencers or bodybuilders. They're poked and they're prodded and injected with like fillers and steroids and shit. Uh, they should all move to L.A. The goal of the festival. Uh, is to keep Saudi Arabia's Bedouin tradition alive. It's to highlight the role the camels have played in it. So I guess, you know, good, I guess, that they're cracking down on cheaters. <laughs> but like, so the idea of giving a camel Botox is obviously crazy and hilarious, but I guess also PEDs are pervasive at horse races, dog tracks, other competitions. But Ben, uh, while I was researching this, I came across the following headline that I just I thought you would love. Quote, Barry Bonds is unrecognizable at Westminster Dog Show. Barry Bonds... Former baseball player had a miniature Schnauzer named Rocky competing in the Westminster Dog Show in 2021, and the headline was about how he doesn't look roided up anymore. So full circle. Oh, so
1: like the head isn't swollen up and
0: oh no, not dude. I used to go to the gym in San Francisco, and Barry Bonds would work out there, and he looks like a different person. Huh.
1: Yeah. Well, I was thinking, like, remember that movie Best in Show? Pretty good movie. Great show. Right? Fantastic uh, show. Like, you could make a remake or, or a sequel. Uh, it's like The Camel Show. Right? Write it up, Best in Show. I mean, because, like, like, every society is a little peculiar about their animals, and yeah. uh, we have dog shows here, so, like, we're we're in a bit of a glass house. I don't know that the dogs are getting Botox and PEDs. Like, may, you could probably find that they are.
0: Yeah. Um, I bet they, yeah, you're probably right. I, I just think- I mean, that, my, my dog's- haircuts cost four times as much as mine do so I shouldn't really talk
1: I do just think it's a little like wouldn't the camel contest be like you know which camel can like walk the farthest across the desert or something Like yeah, I would think beauty the is not the word I associate with a camel
0: no they're kind uh, of mean too
1: I I hear they're they're they can be kind of real bastards. You know, <laughs> did you? Uh, like, like I mean, but I, I'm not a Bedouin. They, I, I assume that they know how to kind of tame. Yeah, the, you build know? a relationship. Yeah. Did you go yeah. on the Obama trip to Egypt?
0: I did. Did not you guys go on like a camel thing? I didn't. Are we stuck I, I, riding. Uh, I,
1: I, well, no, I wasn't that enthusiastic to to ride on a camel. And I remember seeing like Rahm Emanuel riding around a camel is something I'll never unsee. You know, <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> it's um, I mean, like the health of the camels need to be first.
2: You know, For of course, fun center
1: here of on this course. thing, uh, the camel influencer thing is kind of dystopian. Um, yeah, I, they're probably using like Instagram filters and like those beautification apps on 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 right Facetune and
0: stuff. Yeah, Hump Tune. Yeah, <laughs> sixty-six million dollars. That's the thing that really That's jumped some high stakes.
1: That number is yeah. what got
0: this topic in the show. Sixty-six mil. Do
1: you think Bieber, when he was over there for the the big uh, MBS uh, bone saw you know party at the Formula One racing thing, was uh, was doing a little side show with the camels? I mean, I wonder. Um, That's a good. Maybe question. He had a ride on a camel.
0: I bet. I bet. Do you think if you get, I bet that the Bieber concert appearance price tag comes with like a three day. Yeah. Like you have to do it tour. Ride a
1: camel through the desert. Hang
0: out, kind of participate in their weird Yeah. you know, like propaganda yeah. events they want you to do.
1: Yeah, there's probably some
0: some some camel beautification
1: pics out there that Bieber could get, you know, ripped into.
0: Yeah. Well, good for him. Anyway, uh if any of you out there are camel aficionados, if you've been to this competition, if you know, I want more, to know more about this. Yeah, I would love to know. Is more. there a llama
1: version of this? Because that was like that's kind of our version of a camel over here in this hemisphere. You know
0: that we had a llama for Obama in uh, Iowa in two
1: thousand eight. No, I didn't. It went llama? to
0: like oh yeah, it went to all kinds of events. That llama was in dozens of parades for Obama. It was like that llama would would always show up to stuff. There was I think there might have been llamas for Obama in two thousand four too, which we we love a good you know I alliteration mean, rhyme yeah, scheme yeah. kind of thing. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it was that the llamas and my shitty ass truck would always be in these events.
1: Who would drive the llama around? Did you have like a just someone, someone on them. staff who was like a llama caretaker?
0: Yeah, there's a guy, um, uh, Oren who lived up in the sort of llama <laughs> region who I think was sort of the designated point of contact. Are there
1: llamas in Iowa? Is that a thing?
0: There's just lots of weird people. Yeah, yeah. You know? I've
1: always liked a good alpaca.
0: Oh, yeah, those are cool. Yeah, those are cool, but those are. Why do people farm them? Is that for their fur? For, is it like a hair I, thing? I think so. I think they have
1: like the, you know, like you make a sweater. Do they die when you do that? Or is it just shaved? No, like I think you the shave them off. Okay. It's like a sheep, Better. right?
0: Yeah. It's less dark. You uh, feel good about it. Well, I'm you can, learning You can a lot. feel
1: okay about it. I, I guess we can feel okay about the. As long as the camels see a little piece of that sixty-six mil, you know?
0: Right. I mean, what, I wonder how you celebrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you go to Finland. You are yeah, at the club, yeah, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like bring all these threads together. Yeah, well, I'd rather go to Finland and go to hit the clubs and hang out at the Tory Party Christmas party. yeah. You know? I can you. Uh, first, and first of all, the, 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 the Tory. I saw the video of the. Of the Tory Gensaki like, uh, making fun of the Trying fact to spin that, it. Like, we did not have a party or something, and it's just, it wasn't that funny. It was bad. It wasn't funny. It was that,
0: at least be funny. Don't you think that Boris Johnson was absolutely aware of these parties and was probably no at one of it. them?
1: No question about it. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. this
0: shoe is going to drop so hard on yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's so full of shit.
1: He's down in the polls for the first time in a while. There was a poll that showed labor has, like, an eight-point
0: edge on him. Let's go, yeah. Lammy.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's been a Lammy bounce. Maybe um, he was quoted
0: knifing uh, Boris in <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of these <laughs> like stories. He's,
1: uh, yeah, it's, he's been You know, his Twitter feed's been pretty good. If you want to know where I saw like the picture from the Mirror, Lanny's oh, that's Twitter how you got it. Yeah, All yeah right, right yeah. on. But uh, yeah, he's been he's been wielding the knife. But uh, like, you know, I mean, the problem is that the election is not supposed to be for a couple of years. You know, Ugh,
0: um, you is. know,
1: where you wish that the election
0: was like in a few months. How's Keir Starmer doing over there? He's,
1: I mean, they're up now for the first time in a while. I mean, like they've got, you know, they've got a, they've got a lead. And uh, I mean, what Keir Strummer needs to just close the deal on like making labor a credible alternative that actually like, you know, respects the voters and uh, has a program for them and doesn't, you know, spend their money or donor money, you know, redesigning number 10 and, you know, partying and contravention of your COVID protocols.
0: Idiots. I'm waiting for the, the Skexit shoe to drop and for them to just peace out. Scotland, that is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, one of the problems Labour has, uh, to get a little wonky on British politics, is that like, there were two referendums, right? There was a Scottish referendum, and Labour used to get a lot of Scottish voters, but some of the voters you used to get in Scotland now moved to the Scottish nationalists. So they lost those people. Then there's a Brexit referendum, and a bunch of Labour's own people were were really for Brexit. <laughs> so then they lost some voters in that referendum, you know? Um, so they got to kind of build back-
0: better better there you go uh ben i almost forgot um donald trump did an interview with hugh hewitt oh who dan and john talked about How this, on the Thursday this? Pod. Yeah. just a historic suck up yeah, and a, yeah, a yeah. suck up of epic proportions yeah. a man who who traces his political lineage back to richard nixon's administration and i believe is the the head of the nixon library and
1: presents himself as this like intellectual you yes. know uh yes. who's like deeply versed in foreign affairs and yeah you know anybody who presents himself as like an incredibly serious and deeply read person on foreign affairs simultaneously completely sucking up to to Donald Trump is should be taken with a grain of salt
0: yes uh, so here's a clip of Hugh Hewitt as uh, interview with Trump where they go on this sort of odd tangent about China and hypersonic missiles that uh, raise a lot of eyebrows
1: so Russia started it. After they got our information, you know, somebody gave them during the Obama administration everything we had on hypersonic and Russia did it. And what I did is a catch up program and we've caught up, largely caught up. But what happened is Russia got it and then China got it perhaps from Russia. I doubt they did it themselves. They got it perhaps from Russia, maybe from
2: Some bad spy in the United States. So he's talking about
0: hypersonic missiles. Yeah, yeah. But like clearly detailing what sounds like some pretty closely held intelligence about how the Chinese got a hold of really advanced technology. It's a very, very weird, weird quote part of this interview.
1: I mean, like a lot of the times with Trump, first of all, like the idea that like the Obama administration gave Russia hypersonic missiles is like one of the dumbest fucking things i yep. ever heard and not at all true. And I think we would have known. I think, I think if the Trump, let put it this way, I think if the Trump administration had uncovered some massive, you know, program for, by Barack Obama to deliver a brand new missile to Russia and China, like, yeah, they might have put, put that out there. Yeah, prosecuted that I one. Mean, everything about Donald Trump and these types, when he has like a, like a foreign affairs question like this, there's like some shred of information, like he was once. Like briefed on like Russia's hypersonic weapons program or something, and he remembers like one shred of something about mm-hmm. that, and then he just like wraps it up in some insane conspiracy theory that yeah. he's just like making up on the spot nonsense, yeah. that aggrandizes him and runs down Obama, and then the Chinese have to China, as he says, has to be brought in as like a villain, uh, but that is like completely insane commentary on. Very sensitive, <laughs> nuclear Very. missile-related technology. Yeah, kind of esoteric, yeah, weird deep yeah. dive there. There's things I can't even say about this. Not that um, not that the Obama administration... But, like, th- this
0: is insane. This is not something you should be talking about on the radio. if yes. You're the former president. Um, Also, in the interview, Trump uh, mocks his former Secretary of Defense, uh, Esper. He called him Yesper. Hugh Hewitt said something about him being scuba diving when they needed him at some point. I don't know what the fuck they were talking about. I have
1: to say, I'm occasionally on... Um, you know, on MSNB or something, and, and like Mark Esper, like I want to reference him by name, and I forgot his first. I name. love that I can often not remember his full name. Like I, I, am glad that I can't. It's such a sign of what caliber of Secretary of Defense yes. this guy was. I literally forgot, it until you <laughs> yeah.
0: said it just there. Uh, Hugh also asked Trump whether they thought uh, the Chinese like knew about COVID, let it spread without doing anything, and Trump basically said. You know, the question that you're really asking is, did they do it on purpose? And I don't think so. Then he went on to sort of detail what others say, all the other conspiracy theories. We so sort of had it both ways in his answer. But it's interesting because the sort of Steve Bannon, Peter Navarro wing of the party. Josh Rogan, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> well, the lab <laughs> yeah, leak yeah. people too. Uh, all, you know, sort of either overtly say or suggest that the Chinese Communist Party, like, uh, you know, essentially treated COVID like a weapon.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting that he hasn't, because um, it's, it's not like this guy has boundaries. Like the, it's not like truth is a binding factor with Never, him, right? Ever, ever. And so it's interesting that he like. So why doesn't he just say that? Given that he'd say anything, um, like it suggests that he's like afraid of something about the Chinese. I mean yeah. I think
0: you it's know, weird. It's, it's very weird. weird. Uh, he also talked about the the. This was right after the Biden Putin phone call about Ukraine uh and you know you can tell trump just like wants putin to invade ukraine because he thinks it'll make biden look bad but he called Biden, a high school football team versus Putin, who is the Steelers in their prime, which is only funny to me because Hugh Hewitt is a huge Cleveland Browns fan. And it's kind of a bit of a tacit fuck you to him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, like Hugh Hewitt, like all the Trump sycophants is going to figure out that like, you know, he doesn't really love you, Hugh. I'm sorry. No, he just doesn't. All your sucking up and reputation destruction and and revealing yourself to be a deeply unserious person posing as a serious person is not going to. Win you that affection? Yeah, you know, you're
0: going weird to me that a that a Nixon staffer, you know, wouldn't be on the up and up. You know,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, God, you know, who knows like why a Nixon staffer would be on board with uh, a man who's willing
0: to break democratic norms and subvert mm-hmm. our democracy, yeah, I mean, corruption, yeah. all that stuff. Okay, so that's it for us today. Uh, we are off next week because of the holidays. But the episode after that is going to be a deep dive into all things China. Because you know, Ben, in some ways, yes, it's the biggest story in the world, in many ways, yeah, we don't get to, we don't
1: get to talk about it quite as much as we should, given that it's not always like pressing in the news. But I think the ability to step back and really go deep into all the dimensions of what's going on with the U.S. and China, kind of tee up the next Cold War. You know, um, <laughs> it's worth it's worth an episode.
0: Worth an episode. So uh, we'll get you guys that next week. And uh, until then. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Merry war on Christmas. Yeah, just all be, that. Be
1: careful in that rain, Angelinos.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Drive safe, Hunker everybody. Down. Hunker down. Pod Save the World is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our producer is Haley Muse. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Yale Freed, and Phoebe Bradford, who film and share our episodes as videos each week.